Welcome to the local angle on FanDuel TV, and welcome to those of you listening to the Ringers Philly special. I'm Shield Kapadia, joined by Ben Solak. We are going to break down the Eagles' 31-17 win over the Miami Dolphins, and we'll have other stuff too. We've got Brian Barrett and James White talking about the Patriots with the upset win over the Buffalo Bills, and of course, JJ, John Jastrzemski will come on to talk about the Giants, also an upset win over the Washington Commanders, but... Benny Souls, you know what we have to start with. We have to start with the Philadelphia Eagles in what some said may be a Super Bowl preview. Who knows? Uh, uh, welcoming the Miami Dolphins to town, wearing the Kelly Green 31-17 victory. We've got so much to dive into, but start out. Big picture thoughts on this win for the Birds. What do you got? I'm f- I'm flabbergasted, dude. I am astonished. I I... I... This is not the most shocking single game performance of the season to this point by any team. Like that would be obviously too far to say. And there's been some crazy upsets and whatever. But man, the the Eagles defense holding the Dolphins offense to 10 points. They had 17 on the scoreboard, but they scored on a pick six. 10 total points. The lowest statistical output, or they should be lowest point output of a Dolphins offense in a game that Tua and Mike McDaniel have been in together in, in, in the last two seasons. Unbelievable. For like for for the Philly special listeners who don't watch the Dolphins every week, no one does this to the Dolphins. Everybody has tried, everybody has failed. The teams that have beaten the Dolphins and have slowed them down, the Niners and the Chargers and the Bills, they did it by like taking away routes and two of us holding on to the football and and then they were scrambling around in the back and they couldn't figure out anything. The Eagles just were so ludicrously dominant up front that the Dolphins could not do anything consistently enough to score points. It, it was a a, a consummate win it was a massacre in the trenches the likes of which like even on the standard of the eagles defensive line to a dolphins offensive line that was missing three starters after the first drive even by those standards you still don't expect a performance like this and then the secondary had their clutch moments when they needed to right i mean like the you know terrell Edmonds gives up a tyree kill touchdown all right they're not going to be perfect but all together to be sticky to routes to tackle receivers in space i mean it's very challenging to do against this offense legitimately unbelievable i if you had told me before the game the eagles were going to hold the dolphins to 10 offensive points i would have called you crazy i would not have believed it unless i saw it i can't I, huge 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 performance that's where i start too is with the eagles defense i mean this eagles defense you're right the dolphins were down three offensive linemen there's no doubt about it that had a factor but like the dolphins aren't a team where you're like oh they have a great offensive line i mean teron armstead their left tackle has missed a lot of time and they've still been going up and down the field boat racing team after team i mean they come into this game averaging 37.2 points per game ben and think about what you just said eagles defense allows one touchdown on eight possessions, one touchdown. I, I, like, yeah, I'm with you. I didn't think that that was, you could have asked me, hey, Shio, what's the best case scenario for this Eagles defense? I probably would have said, okay, maybe they give up like 24. You know, maybe it's a weird game and they hold them to 24. To say that the defense gave up 10, again, like you mentioned, the offense was responsible for seven of those. Uh, I didn't even think that was in the realm of possibility. So Dolphins had those injuries. Let's not forget Eagles are down three of their five starters in the secondary. I mean, did you see who was playing safety for the Eagles? They were playing a rookie in Sidney Brown. They were playing an undrafted uh, rookie in Eli Ricks at corner at the end of the game. They were playing Terrell Edmonds, who anyone could have had this offseason at safety. So both sides were pretty banged up there. And for the Eagles to do what they do, they held the Dolphins to their lowest season totals in yards, touchdowns, first downs, and then if you like the nerd stats, EPA per drive, 
and success rate. I mean, by far the best performance by any defense uh, against this Dolphins offense so far this season. So yeah, I have to you know put put a feather in the cap of new defensive coordinator Sean Desai because longtime listeners of the Ringers Philly Special know that Benjamin Solak and I would talk about however. This e- whenever this Eagles defense went up against a good offense in previous years, we don't have to na- name names and take shots right now, but usually they were going to get lit up. Not usually. I'll say every single time. Every single time they went up uh, uh, against an offense of this caliber, they got lit up. They did this. You can make the argument. This was the best defensive performance given the opponent by the Eagles under Nick Sirianni. Unqu- uh, uh, if you make an Unquestion- argument for another game, I okay. think you're outside of your mind. <laughs> I think... I. People don't do this to the Dolphins. They don't. There's death, taxes. The Dolphins are going to get big gains on you. Tua averages uh, 11% of his dropbacks uh, are explosive gains, 20-plus yards. In this game, 5.6%. They halved it. The second lowest of any game for Tua. The only other lowest home was the loss to the Chargers last year. Yards after the catch. On average, 40% of Tua's receiving uh, passing yards come after the catch. In this game, 24.1%. Third lowest in any game. And those other games, they were like games that the Dolphins won just because they like threw the ball really successfully 15 times and didn't have to do anything else. What? No. How? Rick, Rick's just starting at slot. Josiah Scott. And Nicholas Morrow, yeah. Zach Cunningham. You're, this is astonishing. Oh. Every one of those players you just named, sorry to interrupt you, but it just struck me when you just reeled off all those players who started or played for the Eagles thing. Every single one of those players was available on like August 15th for any team, uh, any team. in the NFL. Some of them were available like three days ago, but sorry. Right. They cut Nick. I'm going to be like, no, Nick Marlowe, they signed in March. <laughs> they cut him at 53. <laughs> they didn't even keep him on the week one active roster. Unbelievable. Uh, I, I, you say a feather in the cap to Sean Desai. I'm, I, I cannot wait to watch the film and, and see what they did schematically defensively. My guess is going to be that like, Obviously, there are several feathers belong in his his cap, but I imagine it's going to be even more so this this defensive front. Uh, the 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 Dolphins came out in the first half really oriented on 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 running the football. They've been a really good rushing team this year. You probably want to take a little bit of the the wind out of the pass rush of sales. And Hassan Reddick just single handedly decided that wouldn't happen. Oh just, my just gosh! Three Ooh. four plays in, in the first half, the first three quarters alone, where he. Uh, immediately beats a block off the line of scrimmage, gets into the backfield, and then secures and makes a tackle. Doesn't lose in space. Again, so easy to do against these Dolphins' weapons. So now you're setting them into in negative uh, game scripts, right? Again, the Dolphins in second and 12 and second and 15. Think about the number of times the Eagles got a positive play defensively on first and 10, on second and five, to get Tua into third and eight, third and 10, third and 12, where he has to hang there for a little bit. The, the pass rush has time to arrive. And then once Isaiah Wynn went down and the entire left side of that, that Dolphins line from center to left guard to left tackle was backups, they ate off that side the entire night. Josh Sweat, Jalen Carter running games, running twists, running stunts, just consistently making, and remember that's Tua's blind side, right? Or No, that's Tua's front side. Still consistently making it very <laughs> challenging for him to feel comfortable in the pocket. They're not able to get routes to develop down the field. I mean, it, it, it. I think this this defensive line, again, like even if if you told me like three backups and the Eagles have such a good front, I wouldn't have told you that you're this capable of taking a game over the way that they did. Just a stellar performance across the board. Well, this is what we talked about in the lead up to the game. It was like, you know, every game the Eagles play, you could make the case, well, they're better up front. Uh, if their defensive line dominates, the defense can play really well. 
But the thing about the Dolphins is like they negate that with the way they play. They have so much speed on the field. Uh, Tua came into the game getting rid of the football in 2.37 seconds, the fastest time of any quarterback in the NFL. So like they can lose some matchups up front and oftentimes it doesn't matter because the ball's out. I thought Tua actually played pretty well in this game. Like I wasn't watching this yeah. going, oh, well, you got you got a bad Tua game. I mean, there were plays where he had no chance. And to your point, like even the touchdown drive, the only touchdown drive they gave up, right before halftime, they've got them in third and 18 and they give up a 30 yard completion. They've got them in third and eight and they give up a 27 yard touchdown. So I I think your point is a good one. The way they were winning on early downs, the way they were stopping the run, the way they were uh, creating negative plays, specifically in the first half, second half dolphins got to some of their run stuff uh, and hit on some stuff. But in the first half, the Eagles just completely shut down a running game that was what second in in rushing efficiency uh, coming into the night. So uh, yeah, just uh, just a fantastic performance all around from the Eagles defense. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Eagles offense is harder. I think to... there's one more thing. I think it needs to be said yeah, about the Eagles ahead. defense, which transitions us into the offense as well. Actually, zero penalties. That's unbelievable. That's just yeah. like. Talk about playing a game with a lot of polish. Okay, now <laughs> I was going to say, one. if you watch one play, it's called, it's almost like literally unbelievable. They yeah, the but the, face the very next Listen. play was a pick six. Okay, so the universe. <laughs> That's true. Itself. You're right. Ball uh, don't lie. Uh, yeah, that was right. referring to a, a fourth and three attempt from the Dolphins, in which Cedric Wilson just had his face mask absolutely yanked directly in front of a side judge. <laughs> I always wonder what these referees do. So this was a great, <laughs> a, a great just NFL week of wall for wondering what that the referees are uh, for and like why they are where they are, what they're looking at. Uh, but it misses it, and then yeah, you get the pick six, so it bounces itself out. Um, but altogether, uh, it's very hard to play this team without holding because they're all really fast receivers, right? It's very hard to play this team without uh, illegal contact penalties because they're trying to stay in contact with all these guys down the field. The uh, the fact that the Eagles stayed as hands off as they did, no defensive pass interference penalties on on a lot of the two like air balloons that kind of go up and they hang in the air for a long time. As a, a testament to being well coached, as a testament to understanding like the the uh, the easy ways you can give up yardage to the Dolphins and how to avoid that. Uh, no penalties is huge. You never gave the Dolphins free anything on offense. You never gave them like a second shot, a second chance. No dropped picks, no blown assignments. Despite the fact that they have so many moving parts, like even Terrell Edmonds when he got burned on the the touchdown. He was still on the correct assignment. He's just not fast enough to be doing that. But yeah. it's not like they were they were blowing stuff against what's like a super motion heavy bunches and stacks. All the stuff that's been giving them problems. You and Sean have been talking about it on the Wednesday shows. They had no issues. A completely clean game on the defensive side of the ball. And then offensively, same thing as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's no doubt that like if you play this game out, uh, you know, 20 different times, there are probably going to be a lot of times where they give up more than one touchdown. However... Like that's not, that wasn't the bar. Like I said, you give up two touchdowns, you give up three touchdowns. That's still pretty good. You know, Tyreek Hill drops the one pass in the middle of the field. That's a touchdown. And then that was really interesting. And the very next, I thought that was a huge sequence uh, in the game. You know, at that time it's 17, 10 and he drops that pass in the middle of the field. And then he comes out of the game because he, he thought he fumbled. And so he's chasing the ball down in the end zone. And then he comes out, I guess, because he's fatigued. And so then they go for it on fourth and three and he's not on the field. And then you get the missed face mask there. But like you said, it all didn't really matter because, I mean, if he catches that touchdown, they get seven. They ended up getting seven uh, on the Jalen Hurts turnover anyway, and it tied the game at 17-17. What did you think about – now, I know we have to watch the film, but just now that we're on the defense, let's just keep talking about it. 
was part of the plan for James. James Bradbury was pressed up on Tyreek Hill on a lot of the snaps they showed. Mm-hmm. Like, were they trying to disrupt? Because you wrote about this last year. You were all over it in that Chargers game, I think, that, hey, disrupt them within five yards, disrupt their timing. It seemed like every time they showed that, he was not getting a hand on Tyreek Hill and it wasn't really working. But did you sense that that was kind of part of uh, their game plan in this game? Absolutely, yeah. There's a... Uh, there's you have no shot if James Bradbury is matching Tyree Hill in space. And that has nothing to do with James Bradbury and has everything to do with Tyree Hill, right? Like, uh, uh, and one of the things that the Dolphins do is they tend to send Tyree Hill in a ton of different motions in an attempt to, to hide him from that coverage off the eye test. Don't quote me on this. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It feels like they didn't put Hill in motion a lot in this game, which I found very perplexing. I'm an enormous Mike McDaniel fan. I found the, the static nature of, of, uh, of Hill. Like, they did a lot of motion with, like, Durham Smythe. Yeah, I'm not worried about Durham Smythe beating me, you know? Uh, they didn't I would agree with that Hill. anecdotally. I, I didn't think about it as I was watching, but now yep. that you mentioned it, yeah, it did seem like he was kind of just lined up there on one they side. They didn't put Hill in motion a lot uh, from, from what I can wager. I hit up that next-gen stat boys to see if they they had numbers on. I didn't, I didn't see any. Uh, and then the other thing was that they were really committed to this this early down run, especially in the first half, which was just a total waste of time. So I thought there was, there was some, some missteps there by the Dolphins' offensive approach. Um, but when you're not going to hide Tyreek Hill, when you're not going to play hide and seek, then absolutely you just shove him at the line. Because, as, and Chris Collinsworth is doing a nice job calling this out on the broadcast, Tua doesn't really throw um, two receivers. He throws to spots, right? Uh, when, when you're going to play with this level of anticipation and this level of timing, you can't see a guy open and then hit him. Like, Hurts does that. Hurts throws to a receiver. Like, A.J. Brown breaks, throw it to A.J. Brown. Tua, the ball's out so fast and so much anticipation, so much timing, you throw to a spot. So if you disrupt the timing of the receiver, you disrupt the location of the spot. And now you're forcing Tua to kind of to, to think on the fly, and that's where he's he's vulnerable. And so absolutely, you go up and you shove Tyreek Hill. Now, if they had Jalen Waddle available for the entire game offensively, once you're in the, okay, we're shoving Tyreek Hill, but we also have to keep a safety over Tyreek Hill because if we shove Tyreek Hill and it doesn't work, we need somebody over the top yeah. of this. That's where Waddle starts to kill you. And the fact that they didn't have Waddle for uh, the meaty portion of this game, he leaves in the uh, the first quarter, comes back, I believe, on the first drive of the fourth quarter, if memory serves. So missing for the, the, the bulk of this game. Uh, that made it more challenging for the Dolphins because now you're relying on Braxton Berrios and Cedric Wilson and some of these other receivers who just are a lot less dangerous with the ball in their hands. You saw once Waddle got back in the game, there's like three immediate targets for Waddle. That's the button you want to press when you're, when, when you're dealing with that Tyreek Hill issue that the Eagles were presenting with you, and the Dolphins didn't have that for much of the game. Yeah, no, they uh, they they had the game plan. They obviously adjusted to what the uh, what the Dolphins had in terms of personnel with Jalen Waddle, uh, with their offensive line, and man, they came through uh, in a big, big way. This defense. So uh, Eagles improve to six and one on the season. We'll see what the Niners do on Monday night, but Lions lose earlier in the day to the Baltimore Ravens. So right now, Eagles are the only six-win team uh, in the NFC. So it feels like there's been some ups and downs to the first seven weeks of the season. No doubt about it. It looks a little uneven at times. Uh, but you sit here through seven games. You're 6-1. and one, You take it to the Miami Dolphins. So uh, that's what we saw from the Eagles. For those watching on FanDuel TV, remember, you can listen to the Ringers Philly special on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. All right, the Bills have owned the Patriots in recent years, but Mac Jones and company pulled off the upset today in New England. For more on that game, let's go to Brian Barrett from our Off the Pipe podcast. He is joined by James White to talk about the Patriots' big win.
I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now, three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, I cannot believe what I just witnessed. We've been watching this 1-5 Patriots team for the past couple of weeks, losing games badly to the Saints, to the Cowboys, an unfortunate loss to the Raiders last week, even with Jimmy Garoppolo going out of the game. And then the Buffalo Bills, the team that has owned this division for the past, basically since Tom left and went to Tampa, this team has owned the division. Josh Allen has owned the Bills. And Mac Jones leads a game-winning drive and outplays Josh Allen. I really cannot believe what we just witnessed. It's incredible. It was impressive. Like I said, uh, I was one of the few people who still see the light at the end of the tunnel. And there's still, still a little bit of light there. Those division games, like I said, two teams that know each other extremely well. Obviously, you know, Bill Belichick knows how to game plan against a guy like Josh Allen, which, I mean, hey, he, he missed some throws there, which could have created some big plays. But I think a lot of that was due to the pressure that they were getting on him. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge win. I'm, like, I'm happy for Mac to go out there to only have five incompletions, 83% completion percentage to have a game-winning drive. Like That's going to have so much confidence for him moving forward. I think it was just an impressive win all around to go up 10, you know, that fourth quarter, those last like four minutes of the game, the game starting to completely shift. It was looking like everything's going to fall apart. You know, had a fumble. I'm like, oh man, like here we go. But to, to get the ball back, you know, Andre has the big play. They walk the ball down the field, go score. I think that was huge for this football team. They just needed something like that. You just got to have the confidence and the belief that you can go out there and beat good football teams. They were in you know, a bunch of football games with some good football teams, just couldn't quite finish it out but yeah if you go out there and do it once you get a lot of confidence going forward. yeah and you're excited watching the game as a fan right because your team finally plays well and then I take a step back and you look at the upcoming schedule and it's Miami okay we know that's a really good football team but after that it's Washington it's Indy it's the Giants the Chargers who really can never put it all together the Steelers who have one of the worst offenses in the NFL so that's the shame of how they started the season because if you had won just a couple of those games, right? If you came into this Shit. one with three wins, you had a real chance maybe to make a run down the stretch of the season. Now, the Patriots looked like the worst football team in the NFL for those weeks. It's great that they turned it around and got it together. So I'm not crazy. Like, I don't think this is the team they're going to be the remainder of the season <laughs> where they were the far superior team to the Bills. But I do think it's encouraging to see Mac Jones, what he did down the stretch of the game, going down the field. And the other thing I would say is we've been asking all year, when are you going to get an advantage from Bill O'Brien? And I felt like we saw that in this game. I thought the Jets sweep, that was a really smart idea where they get Douglas out on the perimeter. I thought that on the final series, the touchdown drive started where they caught the Bills, right? They caught a, for they got Ramondre on a screen pass. Ramondre takes it 34 yards. That was a really smart play call. And the yeah. other thing, James, and we've been calling for this, they discovered this. Throw it to your best players. So Kendrick Bourne, and I know he had the fumble, and I was losing my mind when he fumbled the ball. I thought they were going to lose after that, so it was nice to see them bounce back. But Kendrick Bourne, seven targets, six receptions, 63 yards, of course, the touchdown. Douglas, six targets, four receptions, 54 yards, and as I said, the jet sweep as well. It's this crazy concept that they finally decided, hey, Kendrick Bourne's our best receiver. Demario Douglas is our most explosive player. For this game, we're going to throw it to those guys and give it to those guys the most, and it worked. Yeah, I mean, and we kind of talked about it last week, too, you know, just rolling with you know, three receivers, letting those guys be on the field, you know, as much as possible. That's kind of how you get the chemistry with all those guys. So Mac knows what he wants to see. He knows who's out there on the football field today. For the most part, it was Jalen Rager, 
you know, Pop Douglas and and Kendrick Bourne, which was a you know a surprising combination. To you know, I, coming to the game, like I I missed like the first few plays of the game. I was like, oh, it's Devontae hurt, but I guess that's who they wanted to roll with. That's who they felt you know created the mismatches against the Buffalo Bills, and it worked. Like I said, just get the ball in those guys' hands. I mean, it doesn't have to be you know sixty yard bomb to create an explosive play. You have guys that are good right after the catch guys. Yeah, maybe Ramondre, you know, couldn't break off a, a long run in the running game. Get him a swing screen. Get him in space. Like, obviously, he's a guy who could break a lot of tackles. Like, he hasn't done it so much this year, but get the ball to him as much as possible. Zeke was, I said, the, the yards didn't necessarily look the greatest, but they're running hard. They're making those four or five-yard runs, and, and that helps. And I think a big part of it, too, is having, you know, those key pieces on your offensive line back, too. You get Cole Strange back. You have Mike Umwainu you know, playing right tackle to kind of sure up that side. So I think that was a big, big part of this football game too. Mac wasn't under duress the entire game. And when he was, you know, for the most part, he he made smart decisions. He just tucked it and ran. I mean, he had a couple where, you know, he was kind of trying to make something happen and he fumbled one time. So if he could yeah. just eliminate like that type of decision-making, just, just eat the ball, throw it away, or try and scramble, get one or two yards or get back to the line of scrimmage. I said, that's kind of what I've been saying Just there's nothing there. You don't have to try and be like, you know, whatever, the 80% of quarterbacks in this league who who are mobile, who are a little bit different than him, try and create, 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 and force a play. You don't you don't have to do that. Just live the fight in the other play. You got a good defense. We can make some stops. And that's okay. Like, that that thing that irks me so much. I, I hate seeing every play being extended to the max. It's like I understand these guys are, are special <laughs> athletes, but every play doesn't have to last 15 seconds. I mean – almost exhausting to me. I mean, the offensive line is getting tired. Receivers are getting tired. It's it's too much time. I understand on third down, but like on first and second down, to me, it's almost completely unnecessary. Yeah, I'm with you. And the other element is the Farrell Brown surprise continues to happen. Where this guy just has like, every time (laughs) Farrell Brown has a big game, they win. The Jets game in this game today. But to your point about the running game, I completely agree because it wasn't like it was super efficient, but at least you could run the ball, right? Because you were in the game the entire time. And to the Patriots' credit, they ran for 96 yards, which that's not like an unbelievable number, but they were averaging 83.7 on the season, which is 26 in the NFL. So at least you could have a little bit of a play-action pass game. I thought they did a good job, too, actually using motion. That's something that the Patriots really, we haven't seen a ton of that. And the other elements are just running the ball is if you look at the time of possession, they were at 16.06 in the first half. So that's on pace for 32.12. On the season, they're 27.18, bottom 10 of the NFL. And if you think about that 32.12, that would be sixth. And they kept up that pace in the second half. So they finished the game 32 minutes and nine seconds where they had the football. That would have ranked sixth in the NFL. And on the season, they haven't been able to do that. And you look at some of the teams in the top five, Philly, Detroit's a great team, although they looked bad today. But you get the point. It's like Detroit's (laughs) a good team. San Francisco, Kansas City, those are the teams that dominate time of possession. So just keeping the game sort of close helped the Patriots be a little bit more diverse with their playbook rather than, hey, we're down three touchdowns. Let's start throwing (laughs) the ball. And the other thing is, I don't think that I don't want this to sound like a shot at Mac Jones, but. He was, the numbers are through the roof, right? You mentioned it, 83%, 25 of 30. The passer rating was 126.7 when he's at 74.4 in the season, which is 32nd. But to his credit, Bill O'Brien's credit, obviously the Hunter Henry throw that he made on on one of the last drives of the game, I thought that was a great throw. But it wasn't like these numbers, James, that he got to. 
It wasn't like you were watching the game and say, oh, Mac made this unbelievable throw, that unbelievable throw. He just made the right plays, and yeah. they did a great job scheming the game up for him. And I think that's a compliment to both Mac, but also Bill O'Brien, that your quarterback can have this unbelievable game statistically. You can look at it and say, yeah, because it wasn't that difficult, right? Like, they did a really good job getting receivers open, throwing it to the right guys, and to Mac's credit, he executed. Yeah, they drew up a great game plan. They spread the ball around. Like I said, it wasn't a bunch of deep shots or anything like that. But when he did throw the ball 15, 20 yards down the field, it's extremely accurate to Hunter Henry to Pop Douglas across the middle, you know, in the red zone. He the, the pass to Farrell Brown, receive uh defenders right there on him. He drops it in the bucket. So it wasn't, you know, all, you know, perfect routes against, you know, the right look. He had to throw against some contested catches, throw it in the right window. And that I think that's one of the best parts of his game. He's not like the strongest, he doesn't have the strongest arm, but the decision making and the accuracy, I think that's what makes him a good football player. And they really use that today. And I talked about it, you know, kind of the previous weeks too. If they could just play from ahead or at least, you know, go up 7 0, keep the game close, then it allows for, you know, Bill O'Brien to stay in his wheelhouse. It makes it a lot easier as a play caller when you're up 7 0 or whatever, it's 10 3, 10 7, somebody at 14 10, rather than it being 14 0, 17 0, 17 3, then it's, kind of hard to to throw your game plan together from that because it's all completely shifted you're just kind of trying to find things that have worked early in the game or just kind of find a splash play so it's a little bit different so I feel like he was really able to showcase the game plan today because they were in the football game the entire time they were playing from ahead I think that helps tremendously and that was a big reason why they were still able to run the football they're still able to throw the swing screens to Ramondre that type of thing I think it's a huge Huge thing, I, and I, that last touchdown, I thought that was great. Used to use the size, you know, for Gasecki against a small defender. Like he, obviously, he didn't have like a crazy game or anything. But when you get in those situations, you have you know three big targets: Devontae Parker, uh, Hunter Henry, and Gasecki. Those guys should probably you know be in there in the red zone because you know a lot of DBs can't match up against that. They may not you know create a ton of separation, but nothing Taron Johnson could do in that situation. Just throw it up high, you know. He almost has a whole foot on him. That's how tall Gasecki is. So. Yeah, I thought they did a heck of a job today. Got to give credit to Bill O'Brien, give credit to Mac. Like I said, with all the noise going on, nobody really giving you a chance. You know, this week, next week, probably the rest of the season, fire Bill Belichick, get a new quarterback, all that stuff is for them to go out and beat a Buffalo team, which Buffalo has a lot of injuries, whatever, whatever. The Patriots do have injuries as well, but I, I thought it was you know, a great day for them. Yeah, and to your point about Kaseki, it's interesting because the past, not last year, but the two prior years, he was number two in the NFL in contested catches for tight ends. Like that's why he's here, right? He's six foot six. He's a mismatch. He's we know he's not a blocking tight end. You have him here yeah, to catch the that. ball. So when you're in the red zone like that, <laughs> take advantage of him. And the Patriots did a good job of that today. And I also look at just from a confidence standpoint, the team has to feel good about Mac Jones doing this, right? Because you have a huge mistake, as we talked about with Kendrick Bourne, and it felt like, James, it felt like, okay, we know how this is going to end now. Josh Allen goes down, they score a touchdown, the Bills are going to win the game, but no, this time it was different. And Mac led his team down the field, won the game, and Mac, sort of, in a weird way here, has control of his future with the organization. that deserves credit here is the defense because that's obviously one of the best offenses in the NFL 
right away, you have to take, if Josh Allen's going to throw you the ball, because we know he has a propensity to do that as great as he is, you got to take advantage. Third and seven, Jabril Peppers, interception. Not the most difficult one, but he made the play. You need that. Mm. Third and seven, when the Bills are backed up, it's a 10-3 game. Barmore pressure. I thought Barmore was awesome on that second and nine. (laughs) He gets through there, forces a field goal instead of them extending that drive, maybe picking up a touchdown and the wind. Ironically, against the Bills, we had a wind factor again in this game. (laughs) They missed that field goal. And Barmore's a guy, James, that I thought this could be the breakout season for him. I thought it was going to be last year he dealt with injuries. And this year he really hasn't flashed as much. But you go back to his rookie season. 15.4% 15.4% win rate via Pro Football Focus, one spot behind Chris Jones. He was in front of guys like DeForest Buckner and Fletcher Cox. It looked promising. And this is the talent he has. Like, he just, like, threw, who was it, Mitch Morse to get to Josh Allen. I thought he was, like, the star of the game defensively from my perspective. He was, he was wrecking shot. That, that's my guy right there. That's 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 my little brother. <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I was there during – um. There are many camp I was getting after him. I was like, how many sacks you going to have this year? I mean, he didn't tell me the number. He's like, he'll get quite a few. But he's a he's a spark player for that defense. I know he's been banged up like the last couple of years. But, yeah, he can he can win in pass rush situations. He plays well against the run. He has a lot of quick twitch for a guy who's that big. And he was he was all over the field today creating pressure. Obviously, he had the one, you know, roughing the passer and all that. I'm sure he was, he was feeling himself a little bit out there creating, <laughs> creating all that pressure. But if he can – Continue to play like that with a guy like Judon being out. I think this was the the most creation, the most pressure they created with Judon being out, Uche being out too. So you know, Anthony Jennings had some pressure. Gotcha was getting in there. So if they can create that pressure and you know take some of the pressure off of their secondary, which I thought you know Steve Belichick, Mayo, Bill, I did. I thought they drew up a great game plan. You know, quite a few times sitting quarter pressure or slot pressure where they they couldn't get Josh out on the ground, but. Like if they make those tackles, we can definitely be talking about a bigger win, you know, for this football team because they they dialed up the blitz at the perfect time. Guys should quite couldn't quite bring him down, which obviously a lot of guys struggle to bring Josh Allen down. That's what makes him extremely special. You send pressure at him, he breaks the tackle of two guys and it's a sixty yard bomb. So yeah, I thought the the pressure was great. Jabril, he's been balling out for this team all year long. Yeah. Whether it's hitting guys, getting interceptions, he's he's really improved as a football player. I thought uh, Jalen Mills did a decent job today. The whole secondary played well. I mean, Stephon Diggs, he had like 12 targets, only six receptions. If you if you can limit that guy under 100 yards, that's definitely a win for your football team. He, I mean, he very easily could have had 100 yards. They had that whatever, like 70-yard bomb where, you know, Josh yeah. Allen overthrew him and a couple other opportunities for him. But, hey, I said you make it – you make Josh Allen feel the pressure a little bit, that's what makes, you know, those throws be a little bit more errant. So – you got to give credit to the defensive front. And also Bentley, too. That play, that breakup he had on fourth down, that was, that was huge. So defense came up oh, with, yeah. a lot of, with a lot of timely stops for sure today. Yeah, you're right. That was a huge play by Bentley in the game. And the J.C. Jackson play in the end zone on Diggs. Yeah. He, had, yeah. he did a nice yeah. job blocking the ball away from him. I'm glad they let him play. By the way, to your point on the Barmore thing, I don't know, and I know this has been a discussion for a couple of years now. What is a defensive player supposed to do there? He's, so he's tackling Josh Allen, and he has to swing his own body around so he doesn't land on the quarterback. Like, I understand the quarterbacks, they make a lot of money in this league, and a lot of people are tuning in to watch the Josh Allens of the world, right? The Pat Mahomes of the world, those guys. But what are you supposed to do as a defense? Like, when you guys are at practice, would you see, like, the defensive players, like, working on this technique? You you can't work on it. It's hard being a defender. I don't know how they do it, especially 
know, guys of that size, like for them to have to, you know, wrap a guy yeah. up trying to turn all that. But <laughs> hey, that's just that's just the rules of the game. You got to do the as best as you can. Me try and wrap the guy up, try and turn to your side. I I don't know, but yeah, it's just it's just what it looks like. Even the Jack Jones one, that was that was a BS call. Josh Allen you know, oh, flopped yeah. a little bit on that. It's like you're like a hundred hundred more pounds than him. He's not he's not knocking your helmet back on <laughs> that situation. He he definitely flopped right. Yeah, well, and Cleet Blakeman called it, and he couldn't even see it. He was on the other side, so there's no way he could see Jack Jones making the hit. Like, it was clear that it was not in the helmet head area, if you will. And I don't know how Cleet Blakeman's trying to make that call. I don't know what he's doing. It's like, you literally can't see that, so just don't throw the flag. You're almost, like, assuming. It's like an NBA ref that, like, assumes there was a foul. That's yeah, sort of like what the, they did. Or, like, see when, the quarterback uh, on the ground. and yeah. Or like when an official will blow, uh, blow a play dead, and it's like, no, actually, you don't. You, you shouldn't be blowing this dead, and it's, it, sh- it should be a touchdown for the defense or something like that. But yeah, all in all, I thought they did a really good job on Allen. Obviously, like to your point, he made his place, and that he is a freak. I don't know how he he gets away from the pass rush, and he's rolling out to his right, and he can just like flick the ball, but he's throwing it like with with crazy velocity. I mean, he's exceptionally talented. The Giants were home dogs today against the Washington Commanders, but Tyrod Taylor and Saquon Barkley got the G-Men back in the win column. For more on that game, let's hear from the host of our New York New York podcast, John Gistrumski. to the local angle right here on FanDuel TV. I'm JJ John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York, and you can sing hallelujah. Thank heavens, the New York Giants finally get off the schneid. The New York Giants win their first game since week two and look like a functional, competent NFL football team in taking down the Washington Commanders on Sunday. And look, I understand there are a lot of Giant fans in the camp of, hey, let's blow this thing up. Let's have the worst record in the league. Let's see how bad this can get. And and I see where you guys are going with that. I see where you gals are going with that in this loaded quarterback class. You can't expect a team to do that, though, five and six weeks into a calendar year. And I would say from an important standpoint, from a legitimacy standpoint. Brian Dable, head coach of the New York Giants, desperately needed this win. Because whether it was fair or unfair, you had people in town suggesting, and I never bought into this for a minute, but when you consider the history of the Giants since Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin held up that second Lombardi trophy, that they won together in Indianapolis against the New England Patriots, we know the deal with the Giants. It's been coach after coach after coach. It was McAdoo. Then it was Shermer. Then it was Judge. And a trend for a couple of these guys, Judge and McAdoo specifically, was that they had very impressive first years, considering the expectations, and fell completely flat on their face to the point where McAdoo and Judge were fired 
after their second years. McAdoo didn't even make it through his second year, and Judge got fired right after the final game he coached. There were folks suggesting that sort of narrative with Brian Dable, which, by the way, I never bought into for a minute. Giants weren't any good last year. Giants made the playoffs last year. They won a playoff game. And the roster wasn't particularly talented, skilled, what have you. Today against Washington, they were three-point on the dogs in the game. But if you look at their schedule, that's a game you got to go and win. You had Sam Howells getting sacked more than any quarterback in the NFL. You had a Washington defense that is allowing just about anyone to go and throw the football all over them. So you would think, and that's exactly what we saw out of MetLife Stadium, the Giants would be able to go and have success. Now, a couple of things here. The defense in back-to-back weeks has shown legitimate signs of life. And I think in some ways you can look at the game we saw a few weeks ago against the Miami Dolphins, as bad as it was, as ugly as it was, you can kind of chalk it up to, hey, they've been doing that to a lot of teams this year. And oh, by the way, the Giants forced a couple of turnovers in the game. So if you want to preach positive on that, all right, be my guest. I wouldn't do it, but okay. But now Buffalo and Washington back-to-back weeks, the Giant defense is balled out. They got six sacks today. Kayvon Thibodeau and Dexter Lawrence were in the middle of everything. The youngster Banks gets a big interception when the Giants needed it. And at the end of this game, when a lot of things, let's be honest, were working against the Giants to the point where they had the lead and it looked like they were going to just yuck it right back to Washington with Sterling Shepard muffing a punt, with Saquon Barkley fumbling the football, with Kayvon Thibodeau dropping what should have been an easy pick six, taking it all the way to the house. All of those things worked against the Giants to the point where the game and the outcome late in the fourth quarter was in doubt. Can't argue that. 14-7, Washington's driving inside of two minutes with a chance to go and tie, and who knows, maybe Riverboat wants to actually go and be Riverboat on us and go for two, something he did not do, oh, by the way, in Philadelphia. But give the Giant defense credit. When they needed to make the stop, that's exactly what they were able to do. They went and they got the stop. So I'm going to applaud Wink Martindale's unit, getting back-to-back big-time efforts. You'll have to see that. There's another simple truth with the Giants that you have to acknowledge. This offense now for two straight weeks has looked far more functional, far more competent, and just flat out better with Tyrod Taylor on the center. It has. Tyrod Taylor has been decisive with the football. He has taken care of the football. He's getting the ball out of his hands insanely fast to negate the offensive line being an absolute joke. And you notice the last two weeks with Tyrod Taylor on the center, the narrative and the storyline around the Giants isn't all the, it's the offensive line. It's so bad. Nine sacks, 10 sacks, 11 sacks. Washington, say what you want about them defensively. They get after the quarterback. They did a pretty decent job of keeping that uh, defensive line in check. And I'm going to give a lot of that credit to Tyrod Taylor for getting the ball out of his hands. He finds Darren Waller, who finally, for the first time all year, maybe he's inspired by his wife uh, going and winning the WNBA championship. But gee, he had his best game of the year. Jalen Hyatt made a couple of big plays down the field. And the Giants stretched the field. They scored touchdowns in the red, uh, touchdowns in the red zone. And they did what they needed to do offensively. Look, 
They're not going to knock your socks off. We understand that with the talent that they possess, but they look like at least a functional NFL offense. I think Tyrod Taylor and him coming on the scene the last two weeks, it's kind of calmed things down a little bit. Daniel Jones kind of had that, that David Carr going, that David Carr syndrome, deer in the headlights type of look. Taylor's been there, done that, seen it all in the NFL, and it's making a difference. It also makes a difference having Saquon Barkley back, who scored a touchdown in this game and obviously is a threat and made enough plays when the Giants needed him to go and make enough plays. You don't love the fumble, but all in all, the Giants are going to be far more dynamic and far more explosive with Saquon Barkley back in the fold. So the Giants get a win. They're two and five. Whoop they do. But now they're in a position where they can kind of let out a little sigh relax a little bit, maybe for a day or two. You don't have all of the New York vultures herding around East Rutherford, New Jersey, going after Dable, going after Shane. Are you going to trade Saquon Barkley? Like a lot of that stuff, I think for a week, will kind of quiet down and you can focus and get your sights set on the New York Jets in the crosstown battle that we'll have at MetLife Stadium next week. And it's a weird spot for the Giants because normally... They go into these games, at least they have in years past, where they're kind of the favorite. They're kind of the team expected to win. Well, this time around, the Jets are going to be the team that is expected to win after their win over the Philadelphia Eagles. So you got to love that from a giant perspective. Hey, go maybe make your neighbor's life or your friend's life uh, a little bit more miserable as the Jets take on the Giants. A dynamic you don't have particularly often in New York City. It's not like the Yankees and the Mets or the Knicks and the Nets where they're playing every single year. We don't get Giants and Jets every single year. It'd be nice if the Giants were better than two and five, but that's the predicament they're in, and it sure beats one and six. Now, we have the basketball season getting underway on Wednesday, and I am super stoked about it. The New York Knickerbockers are fresh off a playoff appearance. The Knickerbockers are off a playoff series win over the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they'll get their season started on Wednesday night against the Boston Celtics, new-look Boston Celtics with our buddy Kristaps Porzingis, with Drew Holiday coming over from Milwaukee. And for the most part, it's status quo for the Knicks. It's, in many ways, the exact same team that you brought back from a year ago. You swap out Obi Toppin for another Nova player and Dante DiVincenzo, who can shoot the three, play a little D, and should help as far as versatility is concerned. You know the Knicks have one of the 20 best players, in my opinion, in the NBA, and Jalen Brunson on their side, the same Jalen Brunson, might I add, that thoroughly outplayed Donovan Mitchell in round number one, the same Jalen Brunson that outplayed Jimmy Butler last year in the second-round series against the Miami Heat. Jalen Brunson's a dude. He makes everybody better. He works his tail off. And that's what you like about this Nick team going into the year. Yes, Thibodeau's got to show you, hey, back-to-back years, I can put together a winner with the Knickerbockers. Because year one was great for Tibbs. Year two, they took a step back. Year three, they took a major step forward. I don't know how the Knicks take a step forward this year, but my expectation is be where you were a season ago. We know they're kind of waiting in the wings to make that Knicks move. That, to me, is going to define where they're going as an organization over the next four to five years, for better or worse. That's to come. But kind of end up in that same spot you were at a year ago. If the Knicks end up five seed, six seed in the playoffs, out of the plan, I'm A-OK. I saw running the dotted line. Right here and right now. Can they do that in the Eastern Conference? For Brooklyn, 
It's amazing. Brooklyn actually had national headlines where, you know, nobody in the New York area is all hyped about the idea that Brooklyn Nets starting. But like over the last couple of years, like it was a it was a big national topic. People would actually ask me outside of New York, oh, the Nets a thing. And I'd be like, no, of course they're not a thing. Now they're kind of back in the world that they're normally in. I like what they're doing. They're accumulating assets. They have some nice pieces, but they strike you as a team that's going to be far closer to the team we saw in the second half of the year post Kevin Durant trade, as opposed to the team that was like nine or 10 over that was able to tread water as everything was surrounding the organization. They have said goodbye to all the drama, but what is your move for upward mobility within the Eastern Conference? I kind of see Brooklyn as a team that goes under their win total. They win in the low to mid thirties and they might be shipping some guys off when we hit January and February. All right. We're introducing a new angle to the local angle. You get to call me. How fun is that? Let's take a voicemail like we do in our podcast. Let's hear it. Hey, JJ. It's Anthony from Tom's River. I uh, just got done watching the uh, Giants uh, pick up the win against Washington. I know this is probably going to pick up over the next week or so, but going forward, or at least for this upcoming week, if Daniel Jones is healthy, do you start him or do you start Tyrod Taylor? All right, JJ. Well, I appreciate that call. That's going to be a ton of fun to do here on the local angle. And it's a big part of New York, New York, where the listener gets involved. This brings me back to my old days of doing overnight radio many, many moons ago in a galaxy far, far away. But your question on Tyrod Taylor, I think, is a very fair one. Look, he's clearly not the guy long-term for the Giants. I don't think the Giants want any part of a quarterback controversy. But there's no getting around the fact that Taylor has looked better and has looked far more competent this year in seeing him on the field. Now, I think the Giants, the way to play this perfectly. Now, a lot of this is contingent on the neck and the health and the status of Daniel Jones, which is very vague. There was never a chance he was playing this week. I don't know why the Giants had a dog and pony show. There was never a chance in hell he was playing this game against Washington. And I'll take it a step further. I don't think there's any way he's playing this game against the Jets with their defensive line, what they bring to the table. I would be stunned if the first game back for him is in that environment, in that spot, against that defensive line. I think, assuming Daniel Jones is medically cleared for contact and can give it a go, can get back on the field, the perfect landing spot. Assuming health is A-OK, which I know is an if, it's the game against the Raiders. That is a mediocre team. That's a team that they should be able to have success against. It's not throwing them to the Lions, Dan. It's not making his first game against that Jet defensive line. It's not making his first game, let's say, against Dallas and Michael Parsons and everything that he and Lawrence and all those guys bring to the table kind of ease him in a little bit. I know Max Crosby is there, and I know how great he is as a defensive lineman. The rest of the Raider defense stinks. It is, as I like to call it, basura. Look at what the Chicago Bears did today. So to me, I think it's a no-brainer. Taylor starts the Jets. And you evaluate where you're at. Hey, how did Taylor play against the Jets? Where is Daniel Jones physically? Does he need a little bit more time? And let it kind of marinate from there. I'd be stunned. And remember I said this here on a local angle. Stunned. If we're sitting here and next week at this time, 
we are recapping Daniel Jones playing quarterback against the New York Jets. I don't think the Giants are going to do that. I think it's just it's a recipe for disaster. Bad line, beat up quarterback, that defensive front, and that environment, that's a no for me, dog. That's going to do it for this edition of The Local Angle. This is New York, New York with John Zustremski. We'll be back next week. Very much looking forward to a little Jet Giant rivalry cross-town football action in my life.